All right, let's get it started on our um, lesson today. Um, the topic that we're addressing really is a practical theology of um, food, of how we handle food, and we're specifically addressing eating disorders. Um, a couple of years ago, if you told me that I would be uh, counseling someone with an eating disorder, um, you know, I was like, okay, it's likely, but I'll probably feel pretty intimidated. And, and I did at first when I started counseling um, this particular person with an eating disorder. It was really hard. And, um, and I think some of us might feel intimidated by uh, it. It is uh, very serious. Um, we have seen, um, I sent a, a few videos and some audio lectures for each lesson, so I don't know how much we're able to get to it. If you're interested, go back and listen to those lectures. They're very helpful. One by, um, I think it's Martha Pease, that she, she talks about the severity, um, and, and she titled her lecture, you know, uh, Counseling as if life depended a life depended on it. And with eating disorders, it, it really is. Um, you're having to juggle with, um, talk to doctors, to work with doctors, uh, to help someone, to, to think, and to, to be in safety with their own lives because their perception is really skewed. So with no more waiting, let's um, Ask the Lord as blessing over our time here. Dear Heavenly Father, we're thankful for your kindness toward us, uh, for all the things that you have provided to us in your word. Lord, this is a matter that um, is important to you and that you have written uh, many, many things about it in your word. Uh, may we be encouraged, may we be um, challenged to think different ways, even to challenge our own uh, way of thinking about food and about dieting and about exercise and all those things. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. I, well, you're going to receive your notes in a little bit, but I start saying that eating disorders are more common than we think, and it's not necessary, you don't need a diagnosis to um, realize that sometimes we have skewed perceptions on how we see food and, and, and exercising, and sometimes we emphasize that too much in our conversations, um, that is this really a, a concern for health, or there's an idolatrous way of thinking about thinness, about shape, and um, what is that, the expectation that we put on each other? So eating disorders and uh, body dysmorphia it, it affects both men and women alike. I think, I, I remember when I was studying this in seminary, um, and I was listening to uh, a couple of articles at the library, and um, I will never forget, Lisa L. George, she passed like a couple of times at the, at, by me, and every time, you know, I was really, a, you know, listening to a different article, and in the article, it's constantly using the pronoun her, 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 her. And Lisa was like, eating disorders is not a problem just with women. It is a problem for men as well. And I was like, I, I agree with you. I mean, you just go in on Instagram and all these social media, and you will see how much guys are always like, 
doing their shape, right, and trying to be the, the perfect sculptural body. Uh, I've, I've heard a, a testimony of a guy that, you know, it, it, he looked really well-built and all of that, and he said, you know, I had to, it was a whole year of me taking treatment just not to, to get out of that mindset of worshiping my body, basically. Um, so it's not a problem with women only. Uh, men also struggle in a different way. So I got, I want to start here with um, the DSM constructs on feeding and eating disorders. They have uh, one, two, three, four, five, six categories. Um, we're going to focus primarily on the last three, but I'll mention the other ones. That some of to me were um, actually a novelty. I'm like, I've never heard of this. Um, so the first one is called PICA. And it's persistent eating of non-nutritive, um, non-food substances, which is inappropriate to the developmental level of the individual over the period of a, at least one month. So the eating behavior is not part of culturally supported or socially normative uh, practice. Uh, if the eating behaviors occur in the context of another mental disorder, a mental condition uh, is sufficiently severe to warrant additional clinical attention. Well, um, it, I was reading this, I was like, oh, I remember that. One of my sisters-in-law, I'm not going to say who it was, but she had a problem of, of, of just when she was pregnant of eating weird things. She'd be like digging on, on the clay sometimes in the wall and just eating. But um, it was the weirdest thing. I, I, I remember when I was high, in high school, one of our professors said, well, this is actually a condition where... Um, because of the deficiency of iron, and the Brazilian clay has a lot of iron, uh, it's basically their body's craving for <laughs> that supplement. But I, it was weird. It was like, I never, I, and, and here we go. Here's, it's actually a, a disorder, uh, according to the DSM. She doesn't do that anymore, just so you know. So um, the other one is rumination disorder. Didn't hear that until I had to study this. Uh, repeated regurgitation of food over a period of at least one month. One month is their magic number. Regurgitated food that may be rechewed or re-swallowed or spit it out. Not attributable to any associated gastro gastrointestinal or medical condition. It's not reflux. Um, and does not exclusively is associated with anorexia and other forms of eating disorder. And then a more broad category is called avoidant and restrictive food intake disorder. It, it is very similar to the following one, so that's why I'm not going to spend much time. Uh, anorexia nervosa is, I, I guess, one of the major ones, um, and it's defined as restriction of energy intake relative to requirements, so leading to significantly low body weight in the context of age, sex, and developmental trajectory of physical health. This significantly low weight is defined as a weight that is less than the minimal normal for children or in adolescence, less than minimally expected. Actually, so you're going to do the BMI, uh, the body mass uh, index, them and depending on how low it is, um, it's classified as severe, very severe, whatever the classification is. 
but it comes from an intense fear of gaining weight or becoming fat or persistent behavior that interferes with weight gain, even though at significantly low weight. The disturbance in a way in which one's body weight and shape is experienced, its undue influence of body weight or shape or self-evaluation or persistent lack of recognition of the seriousness of how the current low body weight is. So they don't realize how thin they are, how um, starving they are, starving themselves they are. Um, it, it's a problem of perception. So there are two types of anorexia nervosa. There is a restricting type that during the last three months, the individual has engaged in recurrent episodes of binge eating or purging behavior. That purging behavior is self-induced vomiting, or they take a mixture of laxatives or diuretics um, or use enemas to try to get rid of whatever they ate. So the subtype describes presentations in weight loss that is accomplishing primary as accomplished primarily through dieting, fasting, or excessive exercise. So they'll try everything to, to restrict the, the calorie um, intake and try to burn that as fast as they can. And then there is the binge eating and purging type. So during the last three months, the individual has engaged in recurrent episodes of binge eating and purging behavior. So there's self-induced vomiting or mis mis you know, misuse of laxative, diuretics, and enemas just to, again, get rid of that, whatever they did. But they, they eat a lot sometimes. They, they can be eating like crazy, eating junk food, um, and then they immediately get rid of that food. And bulimia nervosa is the other type. Um, it's a recurrent episodes of binge eating, which is very similar, which is characterized by both eating in a discrete period of time within any period of two hours. An amount of food that is definitely larger than what most individuals would eat in a similar period of time under similar circumstances. There is, um, unlike anorexia nervosa, there is a sense of lack of self-control over eating. During these episodes, a person feels that no one can stop them from eating. Um, they can't control how much um, they're eating. It's a recurrent appropriate compensatory behaviors to prevent the weight gain, such as self-induced vomiting, misuse of laxatives, diuretics, and medications. The binge eating and uh, inappropriate compensatory behaviors both occur at least um, once a week for three months. Um, and similar to the other ones, their self-perception uh, of their body is very distorted, very uh, twisted. Then binge eating disorder, um, which, it, you know, if I could just use other names as gluttony, as you eating more um, than you should. It's defined by as recurring episodes of eating significantly more food in a short period of time than most people would eat under similar circumstances, with episodes marked by feelings of lack of control. Someone with binge eating disorder may eat too quickly or he or she is not, even when the she, he or she is not hungry, eating until feeling uncomfortably full. Eating alone because the feeling of embarrassment um, that someone might, I see that they're eating, 
feeling disgusted with oneself, depressed, or very uh, guilty afterwards. But this disorder is associated and marked with distress and occurs on uh, average at least once a week over three months. Now, I did put some stuff there related to how, you know, just to give some (laughs) um, insights here on how dangerous this is for a long extended period of time, and I, I primarily just mentioning anorexia nervosa and bulimia. With anorexia, people might have bone deficiencies. Um, there's a, the lack of eating means that the bones do not get enough calcium, so they get weak. Uh, as a result, they're more prone for breaking, osteoporosis, at a very young age because they don't have enough calcium in their bones. There's skin deficiencies. The malnutrition causes their, st- their skin just to be not be able to renew itself, so it's more prone to have bruising and irritation. It looks, the, their skin tends to look more dry, rashy, um, just rough. Um, heart deficiencies, I think that's one of the most common causes for death. Um, decreases in pot- potassium in the body can create irregular heartbeat, and uh, which can be fatal. And then other symptoms just their uh, blood cell count, ga- gastrointestinal imbalances, hypoglycemia. They have women tend to have pro- menstrual problems because they don't even have enough blood to bleed. Um, there are serious symptoms of life threatened if if it is not corrected. So, um, and I, and I mention these things because you do need um, a, a doctor's assistance with this one. It, it is not even, you know, for psychologists, they don't do that this on their own. Um, they have the assistance of a doctor that will be with a doctor, of a, a nutritionist that will be following up with them. In bulimia, some of the lifelong um, consequences is that the overuse of laxatives means that the muscles in the intestines begin to decay and the body becomes dependent on the laxatives to assist in the elimination. So constipation is very common. Um, they have hydration deficiencies, vomiting leads to dehydration, which leads to your body to store up more uh, water um, in an effort to survive. So this is kind of uh, interesting because people that have bulimia, they're trying to get rid of weight, and because they're losing so much water, their body tries to adjust, trying to hold up the water, and they have swelling. So their face becomes swell, some of you know their belly becomes swell, and they're thinking, we're getting, getting fatter which kind of even uh, compounds the problem when they're trying to uh, lose more weight. And then uh, lastly here, the tissue decay, uh, the repeated exposure of the, to the acidity from vomiting can cause long-term damage to the teeth, to the esophagus, to the voice box, and the stomach. The upper di- digestive system is not designed to handle repeated exposure to the acidity of vomiti- vomiting, and then in time, they're Tooth enamel washes away and the cavities occur. Eventually, it can be complete tooth lost. Tooth loss. So, um, all right. So, enough with medical things. Um, what is the biblical perspective on food? So, uh, my my goal today will be covering some of these. Um, I, I'm not sure if we'll be able to cover everything. Um, you know, we're going to see the biblical perspective on food and then addressing the heart. What are the motivations behind people that go to, to this eating, you know, practice these eating disorders? 
and then some practical guidance to the church. So I think I might skip some of the, um, the motivations because we have another section um, next week on eating disorders, and we're going to be watching actually a counseling session with uh, this, this girl that um, is the mother of three, and she has, um, I don't know exactly in the video if she has bulimia or anorexia. Um, she has a lot of binge eating and purging, so um, but we'll see where she lands on the diagnosis. All right, so what is the biblical perspective on food? Um, and you can see there in your notes, um, God created food for our nourishment. You know, at creation, vegetarian food was the provision for all creatures, right? The Lord says, here's the land, eat from everything, from all the fruit that it produces. So people were vegetarian then at, at the creation. creation. At the fall, um, animals also became a source of food, but they were included with restrictions included with restriction. So we, we see even in Genesis 4, um, God making a sacrifice and then, you know, the describing Abel as someone that cultivated, um, that he was a farmer, obviously, meaning that they were eating lambs and sheep and some of those animals. And then 621, um, I believe that is talking about... Um, let me see here. Yeah, when Noah enters into the ark, the Lord also gives him the okay to take a, a extra um, pairs of animals that can be eaten, uh, that can be used for sacrifice as well. So indicating that at the, at the fall, animals became a source of food um, included, but with the restriction. And even in Levit Leviticus, there's certain animals that are considered unclean, and therefore the people of God, people of Israel. So it's very connected to the people of Israel in the land. Um, later on, with the church dispensation, those food restrictions are all lifted, and we can eat anything we want, basically. All foods are blessed for eating according to one's conscience. Um, in Acts 10, uh, Peter has that vision of animals coming down. The Lord says, eat, because everything that is blessed, you can eat it now. Um, and then the Council of Jerusalem really came up with uh, kind of some guidance because the, we have Gentile believers now going to church, and they know, should we um, you know, obey the restrictions of, of the, the law, the, um, the dietetic laws? And the apostles decide, no, you, you don't have to follow these things. You know, you don't um, don't eat food sacrificed to idols or food with um, a blood in it. And then, you know, I think obviously there comes the question: <laughs> Can you eat a steak that is rare or medium rare? Right. Um, and and really, what well, it comes down to, even after Acts 15, um, you you read Paul's instruction. Um, you know, the, the Council of Jerusalem said you do not eat, and, and basically that was a general guidance, particularly to say um, food is not going to save you. So, you know, for the Gentiles, you can't impose that as a legalistic way um, that they, um, they need to keep themselves from this. So the guidance was I don't want them to be confusing food with 
um, obeying God and, and salvation. It has nothing to do with it. So Paul provides more guidance in Romans and in 1 Corinthians as well um, that those, your eating pattern should be determined by your conscience and how, you know, are you going to make your, your brother stumble by eating this food sacrifice to idols? Um, and he says, you know, idols are nothing. You shouldn't be worried about this. But if this is causing a brother to stumble, you should refrain from it. So really, um, we're free to eat anything we want as long as it is not hurting our conscience or causing people to stumble. All right. And food was created for our enjoyment. I think will be helpful. Let's look at Ecclesiastes 2, chapter 24 and 26. Someone can open that one for us. And someone else um, get to First Timothy 4, 1 to 3. Yes, thank you, Tim. Mm, so, obviously, Ecclesiastes is a very um, pessimistic uh, view of, of life apart from God, right? And, and he kind of ends there with the side comment on injustices, um, where there's distribution of food and all of that. Um, and how really the, when they're not in the Lord is not their enjoyment, really, they don't experience that joy. Um, but food is to be enjoyed. It is, uh, it is good for you to get home and know that you have your bacon, that you sweat your eyebrows to get it. <laughs> so enjoy it. it. It is a good thing to be enjoyed. Um, and it is even better because you can enjoy those things through the Lord. Um, it kind of leads us to the next point there, which is eating is to be done for God's glory. So whether you drink or eat, you do it on, you know, unto the Lord. You do it for God's glory. So, um, and then First Timothy 4, and we, I'm going to refer to this text a few um, more times here. First uh, Timothy 4, verses 1 to 3, he says, but the Spirit explicitly says in the later times some will fall away from faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. By means of the hypocrisy of liars, seared their own conscience as with a branding iron. So where are these false doctrines that people are bringing in the last times? It's men who forbid marriage, that advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared and by those who believe and know the truth. Um, asceticism was very common, um, it, it, even back then, uh, where they considered that the body was an evil thing. Remember, with the, um, the Gnostics, the body is a bad thing. The spirit is a good thing. So it, it doesn't matter what you do to your body because it, it is a bad thing. Actually, you shouldn't enjoy the pleasures of food. You should, and putting all these restrictions on people. It sounds a lot like self-imposed restrictions from eating disorders, doesn't it? And they forbid, um, advocate abstaining from foods which God has created to be gratefully shared in by those who believe and know the truth. One of the things with eating disorders is that they have all these restrictions. They're imposing them all these rules. They said, in, oh, no, I can't eat a pudding. That is bad. God wouldn't want me to eat that. So they have these own rationalizations on why they, don't, they do the things they do and why they shouldn't do the things they do. Oh, that's going to harm my body. I, I remember um, 
had a friend, and he's, he's past that now. But he, every week, he would come up with something, you know, oh, no, I can't have dairy anymore. Well, are you lactose intolerant? Um, no. I, did you get tested? No, but I just, I just feel like when I have milk, I, I feel bad. I'm like, okay. Um, and the next week was, um, I can't have red meat. Um, I just know it. Every time I eat it, it, it's just red meat. It's really bad for me. I just can't have it. And then, you know, it was just a whole gamma of things. And um, every time that we would have him over, I, I want to be sensitive because this is a guy I love. You know, I led this kid to Christ, actually, um, and discipled him in his teenage years. Um, today, he's uh, serving the Lord um, in a church uh, in South Brazil. So it's really exciting. But um, he had all these restrictions, and everyone in the church would, you know, lovingly just ask, uh, friend, what, why, okay, well, did you go to a doctor? Because now you're imposing all these restrictions, and we were concerned with him. Um, and it's like, no, I just know it. Well, wouldn't it be good for you just to, to be sure of, you know, and, and getting tested? Because there are labs that do those things with allergies, so you're not, and it was so interesting because it was very sporadic. Um, when we had a, a barbecue, oh, he would see that meat searing, and he, he he's just like chomping, you know, the, the 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 meat, the red meat. And I'm like, well, I thought you couldn't eat red meat. And I was like, oh, just once. It's not a bad thing. And then I remember I had a sleepover. Um, you know, friends were just watching movies. I don't know what we were doing, but sometimes it would like be playing games or playing the guitar, whatever it was. Um, but I, I brought a box of chocolates, and you know everybody's just like taking it, and he's like one, and I didn't say a thing because like, well, I'm I can't drink you know anything, no, no dairy, I can't have any dairy, and it's just going going, and it's the next one, and the next one, I was like, whoa, you, I thought you couldn't have dairy, I'm like well, it's just one. Well, I think you didn't have one. You have probably. A few, but in any case, just all these self-imposed restrictions, and you know, it, it took him a long time to 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 go out of that. He kept reading this diet, you know, about herbs and plants, and um, and the internet is so full of these things, you know, to 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 capture people. Um, he wasn't very. Um, you know, he was a, a tall guy, a big, big guy, but he, you know, he wasn't slim. But this whole thing, he just got drawn to, you know, you know, enjoy the food that the Lord has created. And he, he did, you know, he got past that. Um, he ended up going to pharmacy school, too, um, and got... You know, as he started studying those things, I think he grew out of a lot of his misconceptions about food and, and herbs and all of that. Anyways, um, the Bible also says that a spiritual trumps the physical. And the concern for our spiritual well-being should surpass our concern for physical state. Um, feeding... In God's word is nourishing to our whole body. You know, Matthew 4, 2 through 4, Jesus says that it is my food to do God's will. Right? And, and um, in, 
the, another occasion in Matthew 4, actually specifically talking about Jesus' temptation, when Satan offers him bread, what did he say? What did he say back to Satan? Not by bread alone men shall live, but by the words of God. Um, so there is nourishment in God's word, and even Peter um, makes that analogy that the believer should be eager uh, for the word of God as for uh, milk, for a baby wanting milk. So feeding God's word is nourishing to our whole body. Second point here is exercising the spiritual disciplines are far more beneficial um, than um, physical exercise. First um, Timothy 4, 6 to 10. I might be stepping on some toes here, but I, I do want to do that. First Timothy 4, 6. You know, don't get me wrong here. I, I'm not saying that physical, physical exercise is not good for you. Um, it is good. Um, and I exercise. I try to exercise almost every day, but I, I, I'm not fixed on it. <laughs> um, so 1 Timothy 4, and we, we are looking at verses um, 6 through 10. Paul is giving instruction to disciple Timothy into the church. It says, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished in the words of the faith of sound doctrine, which you have uh, been following. He, again, he's using the language of feeding, right, nourishing in God's word, but having nothing to do with worldly fa fables, fit only for old women. On the other hand, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. And the word discipline there is really exercise, um, you know, gymnasio. It's, it's, it's you go to the gym, to the spiritual gym, and you do this. For bodily discipline is only for little profit, um, since it holds the promise for the present life but also for the life to come. It is a trustworthy statement deserving full acceptance. For it is for this that we labor and strive uh, because we have fixed our hope in the living God who is the savior of all men, especially of believers. Now, um, bodily discipline is good and it's important. It is a good stewardship of our bodies. We do not want to go on disciplining our bodies too much to a point where we're actually damaging it or we don't want to go on the being relaxed and, and overeating and damaging our body. So exercising is good, but is of little profit. I've, I've heard of a, a church group. They had this um, kind of a training session. You know, people that had, they were interested in exercising together. They created this group and they named it Little Profit. Because, yes, it's a good thing, it's important, but it's little profit compared to um, godliness. Um, all right, then fasting. Fasting is a voluntar voluntary refraining from eating for a, for a spiritual purpose. It is never centered on self, and it is not for immediate gratification. It is intended for physical, in, not intended for physical improvement. Uh, why am I bringing this up? I think, I don't know, I, I wish we could have a whole session on talking about fasting because we, we really don't study this. It's such an important spiritual discipline. But now the world has all sorts of things which are not bad that actually benefits for your body for fasting. 
uh, intermittent fasting. You can find it online every time people talk about the benefits of it. And, but that's not the point. You're not pursuing the fasting to have physical improvement. I remember, um, and it's not imposed by circumstances. Uh, I remember when I first came to seminary, um, I was struggling to raise support to, to come to school. And, you know, bless her heart, this lady walked to me, and, and she said, you know, it's okay that you don't have your full support because, you know, even if you can't eat a few meals, actually it's good for you. It's, you know, you're going to be fasting. <laughs> I'm like, no, fasting is not self-imposing. That's starving, you know. <laughs> Praise the Lord. He did provide for me. But, it, it, you know, it's not imposed by circumstances. It is not imposed um, with uh, the desire to be thin. Uh, fasting is really about, you know, I am so focused on praying, on seeking the Lord about this, or um, it's humbling myself about a particular sin that I can't eat because I'm so focused on this. This has nothing to do with um, immediate gratification um, that people get from um, starving themselves in the eating disorder. So any form of bodily indulgence also has a significant impact on someone's spiritual life and is destructive to the temple of the spirit. You see Paul's exhortation to the Corinthians regarding sexual immorality. He comes back and says, your body does not belong to you. It is a temple of the Holy Spirit. If you mess up with it, God will destroy you. It is as, as clear as that. Uh, food restriction, and then, so the next point there is food restriction or indulgence might be a sign of extreme spiritual callousness. So I'm using two terms here, so the two extremes that, the, the, that scripture addresses. One is asceticism, a self-imposed physical restriction um, on foods. I mentioned First Timothy 4. Um, the Pharisees, uh, you know, they were very imposing on those things, and it was primarily focusing on the external things because they thought, well, we can be defiled by these things. And Jesus said, you know, it is not your, what you eat that contaminate you. It is your heart and your heart intentions. Um, Titus chapter 1, uh, verses 10 through 16. Someone want to read that one for us? So... Here we have Paul again describing kind of the same thing that First Timothy talked about, those that were imposing restrictions. Um, and some of those teachers actually were very self-indulgent in, in food themselves, but they're imposing restrictions on others. And what, what is the similarity of this, you know, with the Judea Judaizers and the imposing self-restrictions with food? Is uh, The connection there is that you're really trying to be perfected in the flesh. Um, by, by putting all these laws that you have made for yourself, you're, you're really getting at to, um, I, I'm going to please God and by restricting myself of these things. And I am basically elevating my own rules to God's own rules. So I don't, I don't care what God necessarily tells me to do, that I should care for my body, that I should eat, that I should be thankful. But when my mom prepares this meal that I think it is fatty, and, you know, I'm, I, I'm not going to eat 
because I think I'm going to be breaking my law, which is equivalent to God's law. Then uh, Matthew 23 uh, says a lot about living for one's outward image. In, in this chapter, Jesus confronts the Pharisees and the scribes. You know, it's that chapter he keeps saying, you know, you hypocrites, Pharisees and scribes, they do all their deeds to be noticed by man. All right? Similarity there? The, all their deeds to be noticed by man. Oh, just so people know how thin I am, how strong I am, whatever it is, it is on the outside. You clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. Even so, you too outwardly appears righteous to man, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and of uncleanness. How clearly the Lord speaks to all of our hearts, unless the Lord deliver us, we really are all Pharisees, men-pleasers, wanting to cover up our sins so that others will think well of us. Like Eve in the garden, uh, many counselees make fig, fig leaves to, to cover up themselves. Don't see as I am, don't see me as I am. Only the humble, transparent, trusting heart, which is open before the Lord and others, will learn to be freed of this bondage. Um, all right, and then um, I say there, gluttony is a deep, uncontrollable craving. Um, Psalm 116, I think it paints that picture very vividly to us. Psalm 116, 14, and 15. I want 106. You're correct. <laughs> Sorry. My eyes are seeing things. I haven't eaten yet. That's probably why. <laughs> No, I'm joking. I normally don't eat this early anyways. I'm having my coffee here with milk. Um, Psalm 106, 14 and 15, someone can get that one. Um, remember when the people were craving for different foods, foods from Egypt? Um, it, it, it was a, a, a strong craving that, you know, elevated above, above God's desires for them and, and said that the Lord sent a leanness to their soul. They got food. I, I mean, as a lot of vivid picture. If you read in Numbers, it says that they, they, they ate so much that food was coming out of their nose, uh, meat, because they were craving meat. And um, they were fat and, and felled, and yet their souls were lean. First uh, Corinthians chapter 10, 6 to 14 kind of recounts that same um, six through 14. Um, Paul starts there. Now these things happen to as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also craved. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people uh, sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, um, and 23,000 fell in one day. Not let us try the Lord as some of them did, and they were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble. So all these sins and including their, their gluttony and their um, craving for different foods. He says, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, 
So, well, does the, uh, the Bible doesn't talk about these things, doesn't talk about um, eating disorders. Yes, it does. It does have examples for our instruction. Um, and it was written for us upon um, whom the end of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what we are able to bear. But with temptation, he will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. Now, I want to make my case here, the connection with temptation, because we talked about this uh, pretty much on every um, class that we had when talking about uh, drug addiction, talking about sexual sin, um, temptation is part of the human experience um, on this side of heaven. Uh, for us as sinners, we all have our temptations. James talks about it, that everyone is lured by his own temptation, by their own particular desire. And, and that's what it gets, the anorexics and bulimics, is their particular desire for thinness, for approval, for whatever it is you're trying to achieve through that. It's appealing to them. For someone, a homosexual, dealing with homosexual, same-sex same attraction, um, their temptation is to the same sex for someone dealing with alcohol temptation. It is their, whatever they're trying to obtain from the drug. Um, so there's a, a lot of similarities in there. Now, let's understand here a little bit how um, this scripture addresses it and, and primarily focus at the heart. Um, one of the things that I struggle with of, of therapy really is uh, you're focusing on self-improvement. And if you have already your fellowship group meeting on Ephesians, you will see that change doesn't happen by just putting off the wrong behavior. I mean, you, you might have an eating disorder and you might stop that eating disorder, but your idol for thinness and acceptability and approval might still be there in the heart without being checked. So that's why we need to really address why, why things are starting here. Where do they come from? Um, someone, you know, as Ephesians talk about, someone might stop stealing. That doesn't make them to be no longer a, a thief. When does a thief stop being a thief? It's not just a stop and stealing. And when he stops his stealing and he starts working with his own hands so that he can get loads of money and be rich? No, so that he is able to, to provide for himself but also have to share with others also. So what really needs to change is the mindset of, oh, a thief is taking and is greedy, wanting to keep things. While someone can stop stealing and continue to be, I want to be, I want to take, I want to be greedy. You know, I'm gonna work. I'm gonna be a workaholic now, working hard for my own benefit. He didn't change his heart. He just changed his idol, the the way that his sin was being presented. For someone dealing with eating disorders, our goal is not to have them stopping the bad behaviors. Is to perceive how is that God wants me to see food. This is something nutritious. It's something to be enjoyed, to be accepted with thanksgiving. It's a whole different mindset than just, I know, I just want to stop this bad behavior that is damaging my body. Now I'm going to 
pursue health. I'm going to be really healthy. And it's still about self. It's not about pleasing God. Now, understand me here. I am not ditching. I do think that, um, yeah, they have saved lives. Psychotherapy had saved lives of people um, uh, dealing with this. Uh, young girls that have, you know, eating disorder is the most common cause of death amongst the, the, the mental disorders. It's the most common cause of death. So people are, are being, you know, spared their lives, but ultimately we, we want not only their, their body to be saved, we want them to be, the whole being to be saved by the Lord and be transformed by God. So I'm going to make some observations here, and then I'll stop. Um, we're not going to get to the motivations, and I think it's okay, because um, it is better that we deal with this slowly. Um, I'm sure that you might have tons of questions. A lot of them will be answered. <laughs> um, but I just want to make some observations. So bulimia, this is uh, Ed Welch. He, he wrote an article on this. I thought it was helpful. It does... Um, charts and figures that he has there to show the cycle of how it's manifested. So bulimia is the gluttonous partner to anorexia's restrict restrictiveness. So one is restrictive and the other is gluttonous, but he's both are trying to get rid of that, of which they, they have eaten. Rap rapid consumption of large, am large amounts of food eating secretly is the trademark of bulimia. Its contrast to anorexia's control, bulimia, is impulsive and out of control. Anorexia is legalistic. Bulimia is licentious. Anorexia wants control and seems to invite pain. Bulimia feels out of control and wants to comfort and relief. The two are at opposite ends of the spectrum, but with enough practice, they can eventually be hard to distinguish. It really comes down to the motivation. One is trying to restrict themselves. One is just trying to enjoy themselves, but not deal with the consequences of it. The anorexic goes on many binges and uses the same weight loss um, strategy as the bulimics, you know, the purging, the whole thing. The bulimic uses anorexic devices for self-punishment and food restriction to compensate for previous binges. Rules are everywhere. Um, you have an ever-expanding list of bad foods and shrinking list of good ones. Eat the bad, you are bad. Your punishment or penance is to starve or purge or find another way to feel clean and empty. So you see that there's the normal eating there in the bottom of the chart. Uh, on one hand, you have the dieting and the fastings. And on the other hand, the out-of-control is the binges and overeating. Now, the, the key here with eating disorder is the, the secrecy of it. You know, uh, people might have this for years. My counselee that I was helping, um, they had this for years until their parents found out. So hiding and sneaking and covering what they're doing. Um, and then as the idolatry increases, uh, you know, you see the manifestation of uh, anorexia, bulimia through delayed purging or exercise laxatives and Eastern purging with the vomiting. So they can either use medications, and I mean, it's so easy to find a drugstore today.
to, to buy those medications. Um, so what started as a harmless interest in a diet has progressed to an obsession and somehow, without noticing, they have become slaves to it. Then how does this uh, cycle kind of goes in there? So the feelings of anger, guilt, worthlessness, out of control, imperfect. You know, if you, if you read the chapter on um, the gospel for disordered lives on this, that he addresses that. Sometimes people are dealing with uh, trauma in their life, and they're trying to compensate for that. We'll see some of this on the, uh, on the desires next week. So they typically enter the enslaved cycle by way of troubling or unwanted feelings of anger, pain, loneliness, guilt, self-loathing, and so on. Without skills in knowing what to do with the emotions, they starve or they binge. They're trapped. They might feel better for a moment, but at some point they have to eat or they have to stop binging. Eventually, this break uh, self-imposed rules, bad feelings come through it when they break their own rules. And then the cycle continues. I feel bad about it, then I'm gonna either binge eating or I'm gonna start restricting myself all the more. Um, then I am feeling hungry. Now I'm feeling sad and I'm feeling guilty that I, I, I have maybe this bloating and, and then that goes back to it again. So it's a never ending cycle. Um, they're seeking success, perfection or acceptance. Um, then the feelings of hate and shame and flavor and failure being out of control provides more guilt. I want to end, though, with this um, two texts here, that those struggling with eating disorders are not removed from Christ's hope. They're not removed from Christ's hope. Jesus walked with these people so much so that he was identified with them, right? What was they, 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 they called Jesus out on? You were a friend of gluttons. You walk with them, with, with these people. You were one of them. And, and I like to say that, not to, you know, cast a shadow on our Lord, but to say that he was, he was with them. He went after them, and he gave them hope, and he offered, come to me who are thirsty and hungry for righteousness, right? That, that's where... Uh, we find hope it is in the Lord Jesus. Um, it is not our self-imposed limitations and any struggles, um, but it is in our Savior, Jesus Christ. All right? There is a whole lot, but I, I think it's better for me to refrain for keep going here um, so we would have some time for more questions maybe next week. How about, um, does anybody have any question, comments so far? Um, Maybe it will be talked about next week, but I want, you know, just to hear you out. Eric? Um, it, it is a hard thing, um, you know, and I think we, you know, a couple of close friends, we, we had to really think this through because it could be that he's truly feeling bad. Um, and that's why we, we would ask questions, right? Um, yeah. An impression, well, and the inconsistency of it. You know, how are you saying that you're, you can't eat it, but yet this other day you're just indulging like crazy. Uh, did you feel bad when you do that? Uh, 
did you feel sick? Is feeling bad and guilty <laughs> is different than feeling sick. Did you feel sick? Um, so, you know, telling them, let's, let's check with the doctor. I think you would have more. And then uh, um, asking really why, why do you think is, is, that is bad for you? Because they, it's just, like, well, it's just bad. You know, there's not an explanation. No, because I read somewhere that it, it, it's going to make me increase my weight. It's going to make me fat. Well, um, why you're so scared of being fat? I, I don't think you're fat. You know, you're, what is your BMI? <laughs> you know, you're just asking questions, trying to confront, uh, where is this coming from? And they become very defensive. And that's a pretty good clue is how defensive they become when you're, you're dealing th with those things. Um, you know, he was young in faith too, uh, very immature still, just a new believer dealing with uh, different, uh, and I think we can sympathize with that as new believers, right? We have extremes that we go to. Um, oh, I can't listen to this kind of music anymore. Oh, I can't do this. Oh, I can't do that. Oh, I can't hang out with this friend. I can't, you know, yes, we want to be cautious in our relationships and how we, we are distancing ourselves from the world, but it, when we're new believers, we almost want to remove ourselves altogether from the world. And, and really, God didn't ask us to do that, but to, to be a light into the world. Um, so I don't know. Does that help? Um, yeah. Any other comments? Questions? Observations on um, the scripture's teaching? I think it, it is helpful um, to, um, especially in counseling um, people, helping them to reflect on God's attributes how God sees them, how they see themselves, in contrast that what, how they see themselves. What, what do you think God wants from you? Um, you know, teaching on loving God and loving others. Do you think it is loving to your mom that you're uh, calling her, her food bad? Um, is that a true statement? You know, so um, it's really redirecting uh, their their affections toward the Lord and caring for others. All right, so let me pray. I know that the ladies have a, a meeting, um, and I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for um, the, the truth of the gospel and, and the beauty of your word um, that give us instructions for everything pertaining to life and godliness. Lord, this is one area where um, our hearts go out for these people that struggle um, it is not an easy way um, out of this, a cycle where they have enslaved themselves and with all these extra rules. Um, but we have the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ that came to release both the Pharisaic as well as the self-indulgent. I pray, Father, that we would be bold um, in proclaiming our hope in you and that would be encouraging to those struggling. Um, and even as we come back to this lesson next week to think through more deeply of the heart motivations uh, behind it and how we should help them through the gospel of Jesus Christ. Pray that you bless the, our time of fellowship here and uh, the rest of our service. In Jesus' name, amen.